besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you. Uh, busy show this morning. Uh, we've got Mark Hinton coming in uh, very shortly uh, on the All Blacks. A bit of a report card from Mark as we uh, look forward to the last chapter uh, in the north against uh, various opposition up there. Lavina, good after 10 o'clock as well. Uh, and that'll be, uh, she's a Paramount Eels fan just by the by, so she is one happy lady at the prospect of uh, an all-Western NRL grand final this weekend, the Eels and the Panthers. So Lavina after 10 o'clock. Uh, 10.20 this morning, Jamie Wall and uh, Aidan McLaughlin will be on the panel. A number of subjects to uh, get across there. Uh, and just after 11 o'clock, we'll speak to Nick Ahern. Of course, uh, we spoke to Nick not that long ago, uh, former very successful Australian PGA player, host of SEN's Off the Tee. Uh, on the President's Cup, the success of it and uh, what's coming up for golf as the new PGA season gets underway, uh, of course. And... Uh, LIV is still in the wings, so uh, plenty to talk about with Nick there. We'll have a stump smithy uh, around about 11.30 this morning, and we'll hand over to staff just prior, just prior to midday. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's time for an all-black report card, isn't it? Sort of a third-term version with one northern term to go. So Bettisloe Cup locked away, it's a tick. A rugby championship uh, title regain, it's a tick. Signs of improvement across the calendar year in certain on-field positions, that's a tick. A new-look coaching staff that seems more equipped to cover the bases and more universally accepted as a group, tick. The worrying signs that it seems to take a loss to a side or a near loss to spark an improvement the following week. World Cups don't give that kind of luxury, do they? Well, that's a cross. Losing three games on New Zealand soil in one year, that's a cross. Being totally outclassed by Ireland twice, but on the last encounter, which is very concerning, cross. Losing to Argentina to create the ugly side of history, cross. Escaping from jail twice in two of the victories, managed to shoot uh, very late in the piece, cross. Overall world ranking at this point, cross, number four. Now, no doubt Ian Foster now sits more comfortably in his role than he had a month ago. Hell, at that stage, he didn't even know if he had a role. Jason Ryan and Joe Smith, well, it's early days, but there are marked areas of improvement in their portfolios. Leadership on the field, well, Sam Kane is trusted by those who have the say, but it seems there will always be doubts from outside that Sam's lot, and until he can walk off the plane back home in 12 months' time with William Webb Ellis alongside him, the masses won't be convinced. Sam Whitelock and Adi Savia are outstanding deputies. We have a tight five that is respected. As we know, uh, that is the base where it all stems from. We still thank Mr and Mrs Barrett Senior for their great contribution to New Zealand rugby every day. Okay then, so all things considered, a generous B, a pending B, last term awaits. That will be the confidence builder or the shaker. England at Twickenham. We shall sign off after that.
9.07 here on SCNZ. And uh, the All Blacks, as we know, wrapped up their rugby championship campaign with a 40-14 victory over the Wallabies in a season that provided more questions, perhaps, than answers. But following the Ireland series, a loss and inconsistency of performances against South Africa and Argentina, Ian Foster's men found a way to string together three wins in a row. It was enough to sneak home by a point in the uh, rugby championship, their eighth and ten years of the competition, and of course to lock away the Bledisloe Cup again. So where to from here? With us now is Stuff's senior sports writer, Mark Hinton, who I think it's fair to say has uh, followed the All Blacks uh, more closely than uh, anyone else in the country. Mark, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Uh, yeah, I, I noted your appraisal, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. In fact, I think you were just a little bit generous. I might have gone B minus. Um, yeah. I think that from where they, where they were, it was a, it was it was probably between a C and a D. But uh, um, so a positive finish. But um, there's still question marks, isn't there, Smithy? Still question marks over these All Blacks. There are, Mark, and I probably would have given it a B minus, but I'm still a little bit, um, uh, I guess, excited at the prospect of continuation after I think was what's probably their best performance, which they say for last on Saturday night. Yeah, uh, potentially. I mean, in many ways, Hamilton was more complete uh, in terms of an expression of their talent um, on a tricky old night, uh, but. You probably think of the Wallabies and uh, being a more competitive opponent um, at Eden Park, and, and the way they put them away was pretty clinical. So, uh, you know, those two performances, I think, were their, were their probably their two best overall performances. But Alice Park, of course, was their signature performance for the year because it saved their coach's career. It did, and what it did do also is uh, confirm. Uh, the coaching setup going forward now, and uh, now that we've uh, we know Jason Ryan and Joe Smith will be very much a hands-on part of that. Are you happier? Oh, absolutely. Look, if you think about where the All Blacks, um, you know, where they weren't performing on the back of that Ireland series, look, the pack was was beaten to the punch really throughout, particularly those well, those the, the second and the third test. There was real concerns there that we weren't getting the go forward up front and the punch up front and the, you know, getting over the advantage line on anything resembling a consistent basis. And the attack was, you know, bereft of of answers to Ireland's defensive schemes. Um, and and Jason Ryan's come in and pretty quickly. Um, along with a much-needed refresh of the front row. I mean, you, if, if you're looking at areas where the All Blacks um, really made a difference or really took a massive step up through this campaign, particularly the Rugby Championship one, the front row is, fr- is absolutely top of your list. Um, the refresh there was absolutely important and, 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 and telling. You know, the two young props, Ethan DeGroote and Terrell Lomax, they weren't even picked in July. They weren't even in that squad. Now they're the starting unit, and they're young guys that are getting better each test, so that's important. And Samasone Takeo, what a find. He's not so much a find because he was in the squad last year, but to, to be promoted into the um, starting role, and, you know, the main, he's now the main hooker, absolutely, without doubt, um, you know, absolutely the big mover of the year, Smithy. So that's, that's been important. And then you look at, um, you know, just the overall way the pack performed so much better than July. And then the backline attack, you know, the line breaks they're now making, the deft little kicks that are now part of their repertoire. 
they've all been added since Joe Schmidt came on board, um, or around about that time anyway. So um, definitely, um, Smithy, those two guys have helped round out the coaching team. I think Ian Foster um, is much more comfortable now because he's got deputies that are getting the job done. So make no mistake, Ian Foster's kind of, I guess, the sense that he's taken a step up as a coach that's been helped by the addition of those two quite able deputies. Mark, I think one of the reasons why people have been frustrated with Ian Foster is it appears from time to time he's been quite stubborn over a few issues and and unrelenting, one of which is the captaincy with Sam Kane. Uh, The other is uh, just the unwillingness that it seems to play uh, Will Jordan in what people perceive as being his rightful position at 15. And also his reluctance to perhaps uh, see what Geordie Barrett was made of in one of the problem areas, number 12. Uh, well, those guys are sort of answering the questions on his behalf now. Absolutely. Look, yeah, you, the first two, he hasn't really gone there yet with Will Jordan, although I think he was intending to um, in the back part of the test match on Saturday, but then, of course, Jordan got injured. So um, we'll never know whether he was going to push him back to fullback there in a bit of a backline reshuffle over the last quarter. Um, but he did hint at it at his Thursday presser. Um, and, yeah, with... Um, with um, you know Sam Kane's captaincy, I think we just have to live with that. You know Dalton Papali is a pretty good alternative. I think he put in 18 tackles in that test on Saturday night. Incredible defensive shift from him. I mean, you know the All Blacks don't lose anything, but I think Ian Foster's committed to Sam Kane. So you know he he is a good player when he gets it right and and, and a solid leader. And I think you touched on it in your sermon. And and, and Sam Whitelock and Adi Savier, he has two absolutely outstanding deputies who most importantly are on top of their game. Look, I'm a I was the first to wonder ask questions about Sam Whitelock last year, Smithy. Uh, in November, I thought he looked tired. I thought he looked past his best. I thought he looked, you know, um, almost ready ready for the retirement village. But um, what a return he's made in 2022. I think Sam Wadlock's been one of the stories of this All Black season, uh, the way he's revived his career. And Adi Savir's just metronomic consistency, just never mm. has a bad test. And such an important figure in these All Blacks. They missed him in Melbourne. They really did. You know, that. what we can't forget is, 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 even though it goes down as a W, that was, you know, that was in, in reality a loss. Uh, it really was that close and, and, and the All Blacks only got out of jail on a, on a really bizarre call at the end of the game so I don't think they've answered all their questions um, um, getting back to your original point there Smitty he finally played Geordie at 12 I think we all wanted to have a look at it and it shows you there is a reluctance from Ian Foster to maybe try these things um, but his, when he's done it They've proved success. He brought in the young props. It was a success. He's moved Geordie to 12. It was a success. He decided finally to go with Richie Moanga as a 10. I think that's been a success, although, you know, it's intriguing. Bowden Barrett still has a massive part to play in these All Blacks. So the the moves he's made have have worked, and I think the Geordie Barrett one um, may be the most important of all because it's going to allow um, him to, first of all, fix the midfield, which I don't think was quite right. And it's also going to allow him to start Bowden Barrett at 15. I know you'd like to see Will Jordan there, but I think you having but having Bowden Barrett, mm. Joey Barrett, Will Jordan all on the field together is a is, is at the moment the end Foster recipe going forward. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there, um, of course. And uh, Richie Moonga uh, inside them, which means inside Richie Moonga, 
Aaron Smith, has he answered uh, any questions from your point of view? Would you like to see a little bit of experimentation there in the starting role? Well, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think he has. I, I, you know, his delivery on Saturday was again right on point. Um, and it, he lacks a dimension, I guess. The critics will say, Smithy, he's you know he's not really a running threat. He doesn't he doesn't look to take the ball, you know, as much as people would perhaps like, just to keep defences honest. But his passing is, is, is the best in the world. Um, there's no one that can lay a, a flat, you know, accurate, fast pass on like Aaron Smith can. And, 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 and you know, when they're going forward, that becomes absolutely vital. So I, I think he has. And I think part of it, Smithy, is there just isn't a compelling alternative yet. Falafa Katava, who's a young man with extraordinary talent, um, has had very few chances and they went cold on him pretty early uh, this year, like they have on one or two others. So we haven't seen, you know, whether he's capable and he looks a little way off. And then the likes of Finn Christie and Brad Weber, who's not quite in the squad at the moment. Uh, we know what they bring, but they're not Aaron Smith, not quite Aaron Smith. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he has done enough to hold that position. And I think... Um, you know, I think they're going to stick with him through the through the World Cup cycle, and he will get the job done, even though he's just a little bit one-dimensional. Mark, after all uh, the talk about uh, Roger Tuovasa-Shek, and now we've seen what Geordie can do at 12, um, Roger Tuovasa-Shek came on, I think, with about nine and a half minutes to go, which added to the 10 he had in Wellington. Uh, I, I don't think he touched the ball from memory. I think he made two or three tackles, but I don't think he got his hands on the ball. Where are we here with this, in all honesty? It's, it's about time we've got to make up our mind there, don't we? Because it's a valuable squad member. Um, and is he, is he going to get a go in 12 on the back of what you've just seen with the, the likes of Harvey and Leonard Brown to come back? No, I think he's surplus to requirements. I really do. Um, and it, it's unfortunate. And I, I guess there will be a call to say, let's not judge him yet because we still haven't seen enough. Um, all we've really seen is... Is, is a super rugby campaign with the Blues, which was which was okay, yeah, pretty good. Uh, he's a stepper, he's a, he's a threat, um, but there are other aspects to the twelve game that you know he just hasn't proven himself yet. And I understand Ian Foster's reluctance to throw him in the middle, and particularly as these Test matches um, this year have all carried so much on them, they've all meant so much. I mean. There's been no real, I guess, what you would call um, dead rubbers or, or games that you might want to experiment because you know everything's been so important because of those losses that have started the season. So he hasn't been able to, we hasn't been able to look at him and you know under the real microscope of the, of the Test match arena and you know the kicking game, the defensive presence, um, you know the, the strong carry, I guess that, that the likes of the Geordie Barrett. Um, uh, you know, uh, do bring on a consistent basis. You just wonder whether he's got that. We know how good he is on his feet. We know, um, you know, how, how what a nice little unloader, offloader he is. Um, but has he got those other skills? Look, we just don't know yet, do we? And we need to see more. And it doesn't look promising. Anton Leonard Brown is about to return to the field, I believe. Um, so, um, he, you know, he uh, that just adds to the mix, adds to the midfield, I guess. Um, uh, and, and you have to think, at best, George, um, Anto, uh, sorry, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, he's number four in the number 12 rankings, if you think about David Harvili, Quintu Paia, and now Julie Barrett being ahead of him. So does he make the World Cup squad? It doesn't look like it, does it? He has to make a big move, and is he going to be able to do enough, I guess, to surpass those guys? Major, major question marks. 
Comments over the weekend, uh, Mark, from uh, Stuart Barnes, who's now a former England player, of course, but also uh, a journalist now. Um, we seem to, when he speaks, we seem to take notice of it, and he seems to think uh, the uh, Northern Hemisphere sides will not be frightened by this all-black side. No, nor should they be. Well, well, what have they done? I mean, they're what, five and four for the year, and probably, as we touched on, should be four and five. So it's not a record that should, should scare anybody. They're, they're beatable. They're fallible. They've yet to really... They, you know, through this campaign, although we talked about those three wins on the trot, they're still yet to put together back-to-back quality performances. And I emphasize the word quality there. Mar- Marvel Stadium was not a quality performance, losing an 18-point lead in the final quarter. So... Um, no, there's nothing to scare the North. I think France and Ireland are still the two best teams in the world, and I think I think England and South Africa, at their best, probably still sit above. Um, and I say at their best, I think you know the All Blacks are probably on a par with those two teams. Um, but when those two teams are at their best, you know that you wouldn't you, you wouldn't necessarily you know put the mortgage on the All Blacks beating them. So um, I think um, they've improved. There's no doubt about that. They're a lot better now than they were uh, in July. But are they, you know, back to the very best team that they need to be to win a World Cup? No, no. It's still a work in progress, and that's maybe why November, November, and those three tests to finish on: Wales, Scotland, England. If you think about maybe a World Cup quarterfinal, semi-final, final, they need to go three and zero. I think to make a statement to finish the year in style and to set themselves up for World Cup. Yeah, they need to win those three games, and that last one's going to be awfully difficult. Mark, just uh, away from the international side of things, uh, Super Rugby's 2023 draw was uh, announced on Sunday. Highlanders going back to Invercargill for the first time in uh, around three years. Um, and also Fiji and Drua having uh, at least six home games in Fiji next season. Um, Moana Pacifica taking a game to Samoa. So... It's starting to, to go uh, and expand a wee bit geographically as much as anything else. What does the future look like uh, after after this forthcoming year with the negotiations, etc.? Yeah, well, that's the big question, Mark, isn't it? Can New Zealand and Australia find a common ground? And, and really, Smithy, you and I both know it. That comes down to New Zealand ceding some money to to the Australians on the broadcasting revenue front because um, there's an imbalance at the moment. The Australians don't like it. New Zealand kind of of a mind that you know we earn it we should be able to keep it and they have to find a um you know they 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 have to find a compromise really a way to work forward because we want to see this competition continue i think the set some pretty promising seeds were sown last year and you talk about those games up in uh, fiji and one game in apia not enough i think i'd like to see that at least doubled i'd like to see uh, moana go up into the pacific for at least two home games but uh, i think that will be part of their future um that, to me, is, is, is almost the most exciting thing about this competition, adding that, that extra element. I mean, going to win, to, going to play the Fijian and Drua up in Lautoka or wherever they hold their games, um, it's going to be a massive ask for the six teams that have to do it next year. And, and, and as, the, as, you know, the, as those two expansion teams kind of bed in and become, I guess, even, even more formidable and even more challenging. Um, but, you know, those matches are going to be kind of signature games in this competition because they're going to add an extra layer of complexity and difficulty. So it's an exciting comp, I think. You know, I'm not sure about the eight teams in the finals when you had a team like the Hollanders getting in last year with a 4-10 and record. 
I just think that that bar's a little bit low. Maybe they'll look at that in the future, but I get that they want as many finals games as possible. So there's perhaps some tweaks they can make, but I'm excited if those expansion teams can continue to be as competitive as they were in year one, Smithy. I think it's a good competition, and, and, and it all comes down to them. New Zealand and Australia, look, we're rivals, but we're mates as well, and, and they have to find a way to be mates in the boardroom. They have to find a way to agree on this, because uh, as much as um, we might have our own sort of individual inclinations, shall we say, we need each other. We need, we really need each other in the modern rugby world if we're any hope of keeping hope with the, of keeping pace with the North. And I think, I think you probably realise that too, Smithy. Yep, I do. I do, Mark. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your time this morning, uh, as you've always been available to us uh, throughout this uh, uh, calendar year of rugby. I hope that continues as we uh, look forward to the prospects of a team naming to travel North uh, and in those games coming up there, mate. Thank you very much for your time, as always, Mark. Appreciate it. No worries, Smithy. Go well. Cheers. Have a good week, mate. Uh, it's 9.24 here on SCNZ. Mark Hinton there and uh, Senior Stuff Sports Writer with his thoughts. Uh, we're going to open up the lines after 9.30 for your thoughts. What is your report card on the All Blacks, actually? What is it? 0800 There'll be a chemist warehouse voucher for $50 up for grabs, too, so you can win by having your judgment. Uh, it is uh, t- time for uh, a short break, and when we come back, uh, we shall uh, have uh, just about the news and we implore you to give us a call uh, on what you've seen so far. Really would like your thoughts. Thank you. It's 9.25. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, I've been keeping an eye on this uh, UEFA Champions competition with uh, England um, against Germany. Uh, England were 2-0 down. Um, and uh, really looked uh, terrible for them. Well, unbelievably, in the last 10 minutes, they've scored three goals. Harry Kane's just converted a penalty, and then a 3-2 up with uh, about seven minutes of normal time to go. Quite a revival, maybe to save for Gareth Southgate's uh, job. We don't know, but uh, Harry Kane has just put them ahead, and uh, the German manager looks a little bit forlorn. His side have blown a very comfortable 2-0 lead. Uh, right, uh, we've got a number of calls already lighting up the board, but that doesn't mean we haven't got room for you. 0800 150 811 is our text number. What about a report card for the All Blacks? Uh, really, we've reached uh, the end of a crucial period. The home uh, section, the uh, International Rugby Championship window is gone. Uh, where do we uh, sit heading into the Northern Tour? Do you give us a pass mark or an epic not pass mark? Not quite a fail, is it? Um, on the basis of uh, you set out to win the Bledisloe Cup back, you set out to win the Rugby Championship, got them both, it's hardly a fail, but uh, we are, we do hard taskmasters in this country when it comes to the All Blacks. Love to hear your thoughts. It's 9.31, here's Araha. Win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Just as we uh, talked about England's revival, Germany have come back with a goalkeeping blunder of the highest order. Um, A regulation save, which he parries straight in the path of a German striker. And so now it is 3-3. 3-3 between England and Germany. Anyway, moving on to rugby and to our calls. Thank you very much for calling in. First of all, Jeff the Ref. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Smitty. How are you? Oh, look, I'm pretty, pretty chipper. Pretty chipper. Yep. Yeah, I'm still fuzzing, mate. I'm still fuzzing, you know. I mean, a little country boy heading up to the back smoke and first time to Eden Park. Seats are on halfway, you know, up in the 
blow the corporate boys and uh, and most of the old turf boys are there actually the stadium and golf is turfy so I think that's where why Blair put me there um, to a bloody, uh, be in, we had a bunch of Aussies in front of us so I went to the old Fox <laughs> had a couple of beers with the old Fox Smithy and had a couple of beers there first and and uh, it was a bit of banter with the Aussies there which were, they were good buggers too and but what a hell of a game, you know. I mean, it was a bit of a boxing match, you know, the first 20. You know, the defence from both sides was amazing, wasn't it? And in fact, I think that's what our, our defence wore them down in the end. And, and just to see Will Jordan score that try right in front of me, you know. My wife and I was fantastic. And Bodie at the back and then then Clarkie smashing, dropping the shoulder and just smashing like 10 pin bowls, you know. Bowling was just... And the Fords, everybody deserved to, you know, I'd, I'd shake every hand. And that, that team that was that played on Saturday night was fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and the woman, I mean, that was a good game, except they didn't have much opposition, the ladies. But uh, I was just a bit disappointed about the crowd support on for the ladies, you know, to see women score seven or eight tries. And, and uh, shit, they've got some serious skills, Smithy. You know, those ladies. You know, yeah, so... I've got... Yeah, they, Okay, so Eden Park gets a tick for you, and what about the All Blacks uh, in terms of the first um, nine coming up, ten months of uh, this year? Yeah, well, I've, I've, I'm in a happy place with them now, you know, and um, I mean, I had pride there. I had the old tears with the with the old, you know, with the old sing along with the, the anthem, and then the harker was fantastic to, to hear that, and the crowd was. Fantastic, big crowd, big crowd, biggest I've experienced. And uh, yeah, no, we've we got, yeah, we've got a nucleus of a team there that can beat anybody on the day. So we're going to be, we're going to be competitive, Smithy. And it's a matter of uh, obviously putting 80 minutes every once we get to the World Cup, putting 80 minutes on the track every day. And the good thing I noticed, Smithy, they, 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 they were disciplined. And, you know, the referee had control over the game. You know, it was the Aussies losing their discipline. And uh, so if they can play to the referee, you know, referee will never change his decision. So just take it on the chin, get back 10. Don't try to get in conversation. And uh, uh, let the Aussies do that because those 50-50 calls went for us. And that's because we shut up and just played the game. And that's what they've got to do. It's good about the referee. Take the referee out of the game, which they did. And I thought he went right, actually, the old ref. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'm pretty pretty happy with it going forward. Sounds good. Yep. Sounds good. I like your report card, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much, uh, mate, for calling in. I'm glad you enjoyed your trip. To the big smoke, as you called it. Neville, good morning to you, Nev. Good morning, Ian. Um, yeah, I get, I'd say the All Blacks... Um, Definitely give them a good, and uh, the one thing I would like to see is they ban Aaron Smith doing box kicks. I think that would help their game a lot. Um, but anyway, look, I just wanted to talk quickly about a great golf weekend. We almost had a golden one with two winners on the world scene, what you know, we don't get very often. Um, young Daniel Hillier, he, he's a real talent, that boy, and um, after some indifferent performances, his final round, 10 birdies, uh, 64 for his two-shot win was 
quite sensational, really, and I think it's sewed up his um, DP World Tour card for next year, which is exciting. So he'll be mm. with Foxy. Yeah, and um, Steve Elka, well, he, he had a rush of blood on that last hole. Um, it's unlike him, but I think he might have been seduced by the fact that he'd birdied it on the second in the previous round. And, um, yeah, it was just a shame he, he missed out on that one. But yeah, I think he sewed up the Charles Schwab pot position um, with that on second place. And um, Mamoka Kabori over on the LET Tour, she's looking good to get her European Tour card. Um, she had a sick, which was good. Um, and Michael Hendry showed a bit of form. He had a top 20s. And, of course, Lydia finished well in her tournament. So it was a blooming good golf weekend. It was massive. Nev, and, uh, thank you very much for your update. Always appreciate it uh, because it uh, certainly informs me because you keep an eye across the board on all those tours. Uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, long may it continue. Joe from Gizzy. Morning, Joe. Morning, Mr. Smithy. I um, loved your commentary on the game, and uh, I thought, uh, looking at the back line, I thought poor Anton Leonard Brown may uh, may miss out on the All Blacks if they're going to play Geordie at 12, because he was an absolute hammer, and uh, his defence was was on point. But over the advantage line, every single time he got the ball, and looking at that team. What are we? We won five and we lost four this this uh, this winter, and we're now I think looking at Moana's team, the the skipper and the uh, coach have given him pretty much the keys to the team, and now we're looking to try and fit Bowden in wherever we can, and look at him once again just breeze him to the back line when he needs to, no mistakes. Defense on point, uh, and, and then yeah, like like Jeff the referee doesn't get out much, obviously, but uh, <laughs> he, he was bang, it was bang on point where you know we we once for once we had our defense and we didn't give away penalties so that they couldn't put uh, scoreboard pressure onto us. But I think I think we're probably around the the seven mark this season, um, right from the beginning when all the hate came. For uh, for Fozzie, he he stood tall and he said, "Hey, we're trying to change the way we play, and it's like trying to trying to trying to change uh, an oil tanker the direction it's going. It's going to take time, and it's taken time, and you've seen it. They've got rid of the pods, which is fantastic. They've got guys who you never would have thought would be an All Black front row at the beginning of the season. Smithy, you've seen more rugby than most people, and tell me you would have had Lomax." And you would have had De Groot as your starting starting props when we when we went in to play the Irish. They weren't even in the no, squad. You're absolutely right, Joe. Um, I, I was a little bit um, uh, underwhelmed by uh, Tyrell Lomax initially in the in the first part of his career to this point. And De Groot, of course, um, was um, not even part of the Irish squad at all. They sent him away to do stuff. I think he fronted up towards the end of that Irish series, but not with any intention of playing him just to get him back in the group. Uh, so you're, you're absolutely dead right. And, and starting the year, then you know we, we would not have thought that uh, Tokiaho, we saw glimpses of him last season, saw glimpses of him, but we wouldn't have thought he would be out, out and out number one. So I think you're right. 
You're absolutely right, Joe. That that is the massive plus, the massive plus of what we've achieved so far. Yeah, we've developed players over this, and yes, we've lost the series at home to the Irish, and yes, we got beaten by the Argentinians, but we have developed depth. Now, when you see Cody Taylor come on, and he's got to be on point because look who's on the bench. So I, I love the way that that, that Fozzie has taken everything on the chin and he has changed things with bringing in um, Joe, Joe Smith and also bringing in our, our man from Canterbury for the forwards, Jace Ryan. And so now we need to get behind them, right? And the other thing is I think that Joe Parker could come and train with the All Blacks for 12 weeks because after his 12-week camp, uh, he looked as fat and slow as me, Smithy, and no defence, no hands up, and he got an absolute hiding on the weekend. And it was poor to see right from the outset that uh, he had nothing but get hit, turn away, run to the next corner, get hit, turn away, run to the next corner. And he wasn't the Joe Parker that we saw win the WBO belt uh, a few years ago. And, and personally, I watched it, and I thought, man, our man has gone backwards. So we'll be intrigued to see where he ends up. But uh, I give the All Blacks seven. I give Joe Parker zero. And uh, and that's about me for the weekend, Smitty. Joey, and I give you an eight. There you go. An unqualified eight for that summation of everything. And I don't even know why I took two points off you. It's just because I didn't feel like giving you ten. Uh, absolutely brilliant, mate. Thank you uh, for your input there. And Dino, we'll give uh, Dino the final say for the morning. What uh, what do you make of it now, Dean? After uh, a lot of pain in the last nine months, how do you feel right now? Of course, mate. The Stags beat Counties. Oh, of course they don't. Forgot about that. <laughs> oh. No, no, pretty good, Smithy. Like you, you've got to give credit where credit's due, and I've been like the, one of the first to put the old boot into a carer, and like he got out there yesterday or Saturday, and he did what we need him to do. You know, it's just for me, it's just consistency with the lad. I've never doubted his ability. I've doubted his work rate. And um, if he plays like that, remember when I said take Buck Shelford to South Africa and room him with him. Like the kid's got what you can't coach. It's just whether he can be bothered. And when you're playing for the All Blacks. You want them to be bothered. I hope Forster is happy to sort of... It's not a told you so, but lots of people have been harping out for Geordie Barrett to have a crack at 12. He's got an ad on the radio saying, I'll be lying if I didn't put time into learning how to play 12. I'm not worried about Anton Leonard Brown. You know, at the end of the day, I think the baby blacks were sensational many moons ago. We've got a lot of talent in New Zealand. They're all on the field. I still think we got them in some mixed up positions, but You've got to take your head off to Dalton. He's given an opportunity, and he grabbed it. You know, he tried damn hard. And that's all you want. Like, I don't mind if we get beaten if we play like that. That's beaten. But when we got players all over the place, like Browns, Cows, and... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, they can say what they like about the Groot and that not being there, but they should have been there. Like, the Blues were showing up at the Super Final. I don't know what they were watching. They named the team beforehand. I, I've said it before on the radio. I'm pleased Grant Fox is gone. There's something going on with Auckland and putting players in there. That really, they were good All Blacks. But good is the word. Not anymore. Dino, thank you very much uh, for your time. I've got a sneaking suspicion that sound in the background was someone uh, working with some concrete, maybe smoothing some concrete. Um, but uh, that proves at least, Dino, that uh, you were at work uh, for this call and not at the law courts, which was great. Fantastic.
Uh, thanks so much for your t- uh, time this morning, folks. The boys will make a decision on who gets the voucher this morning, and we'll move on to another one tomorrow morning. It is at 9.46 here on SENZ. All winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.51 here, time for some texts. Uh, RTS is such a waste in union, like we said, on the field for 10 minutes, didn't even get to touch the ball, not by any fault of himself. And to say he can't uh, he can't carry like Geordie Canny, to be fair. Uh, please, that's what his bread and butter is. Can he go back to the Warriors, uh, Rog, and try and get the elusive premiership instead of being a bit player in an organisation that truly don't want to give you a go. Let's remember it's the Northern teams that have made us look silly with the players we persist with at the moment. That is from Vaughan, who is still guarded about the whole thing. Uh, good morning, uh, Ian. Geordie Barrett was very good on Saturday, but I thought the forwards laid a great platform for the backs to play off. Dave Rennie's face said it all. They were absolutely woeful. Cheers, Brian. You're right, Brian. I spoke to Dave Rennie afterwards. Uh, he looked very glum about the whole situation because uh, it's time for a report card on his uh, team's performance as well. And it is uh, far and away worse than the All Blacks at this point. OK, didn't have uh, all his best players available, but that is international sport. From time to time, you have to try and develop um, depth to cover those options. Hasn't been able to do that. Uh, they will look uh, very, very average. Um, hey, uh, lads, this is from Richard. Uh, surely RTS needs to have a crack at the wing or fullback for Auckland and see how he goes. Midfield stocks are chocker, and he won't get a starting spot for the All Blacks at this rate. Him and Will Jordan in the back three could be special. It uh, would be a shame to see him go back to league as rumoured and not seeing his potential realised in union. Uh, that's uh, another point there. Uh, well, Smithy people and the TAB are really getting carried away uh, with uh, the uh, wins against the Aussie B team because that's all they are. The TAB straight away make them equal favourites to win the World Cup based on that they're dreaming. They will be very lucky to make the quarterfinals. That's from Mark. And the other text was from... Uh, Richard, I thank you very much uh, for those texts. Keep them coming in. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. Love to hear your report cards on the All Blacks or anything else that you've seen over the weekend. Uh, we'll be back shortly with a multi to start this weekend off. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Radio, uh, my weekend one uh, went adrift because uh, I gave the Australians a 16 and a half point start at Eden Park and uh, they couldn't handle that. So, uh, of course, the All Blacks way too dominant, uh, as they say. Uh, so today, uh, Cowboys to beat uh, the Giants. That's uh, NFL, of course, the Dallas Cowboys to beat the New York Giants. Uh, the slot outside is actually at $1.92. Uh, we've got uh, more international football action uh, overnight and early tomorrow morning. Greece to beat Northern Ireland. Greece to beat Northern Ireland at $1.91. And uh, a game in the Africas. South Africa to beat Botswana at $1.50. So you multi those up, the Dallas Cowboys into Greece, uh, into South Africa, and that comes out to $5.50. Wouldn't mind uh, 10 bucks with that start the week off. Right, uh, after the break, we uh, we we will be talking uh, to Lavina Good. Now, Lavina, of course, loves her league, absolutely loves her, her rugby league. She's a good all-rounder. She knows a lot about a lot of things. But uh, rugby league is one of her passions. And the Parramatta Eels also fit into that category as well. So one uh, pretty excited lady uh, to where the Parramatta Eels have come from 
to where they've got to uh, and uh, on the point of uh, perhaps preventing the Penrith Panthers from creating a massive amount of rugby league history. So we shall uh, chat to Lavina after that. Uh, later in the morning we'll be talking to Nick Ahern on the President's Cup Golf and other events in golf uh, around the world at the moment. It is uh, 10 o'clock, time for the news with the lovely Aroha. In the set of six, someone's got to shut him down. So it'll take two or three players to do that. And if they can quieten down his ticking game and getting off song, that will be so much more effective for Parramatta. You've also got to remember that Nathan Cleary will be putting up the high ball and the bomb ball to Wonga Blake, who has not been very successful with that mm. towering bomb. In fact, he looks very nervous, a little bit like Manu Vatuve did many, many years ago when he played against Parramatta and dropped five bombs in a row on the corner. And Nathan Cleary knows that. So it's a pretty easy conversation to have with your players. Either you shut down Cleary or you lose the grand final. And they'll put it all of that in place. And whether or not it takes Nathan Brown to come back and, and do that, it will be interesting. But when you do shut Nathan Cleary down, Jerome Luai, who loves to play a starring role as well, you'll often see Luai play a starring role when Cleary plays a starring role. But as for the State of Origin Game 3, when they shut Cleary down, all of a sudden Jerome Luai becomes slightly anonymous as well. So if Parramatta can be effective in doing that, holding that defensive line in the first half, not just the second half like they did against the Cowboys, they've got a very, very good chance. But I think the matchup in the forwards is another area of concern for the, the Parramatta Eels. They'll be absolutely exhausted from that match against the Cowboys. They'll be sore, they'll be tired. And that week off can mean so much to so many players like Kikau and Liam Martin and Isaiah Yo, who, you know, thrive on just punishing the opposition. And I know we, we focus so much on the backs and Mitch Moses and Nathan Cleary, but I honestly believe this grand final will be won and lost in the forward pack, both defensively and in attack. And it will be the pack that decides to dominate early, almost like a state of origin clash, where they come out and punish each other as much as possible and prove to the opposition that I'm tougher than you, I'm stronger than you, and I want this grand final more than you. And it will be a battle to savour. I absolutely guarantee that. That may well be highlighted between the individual battle between James Fisher-Harris and Regan Campbell-Gillard, who has been ginormous for Parramatta in this trip. Regan Gillard had a point to prove after he was dropped from that last State of Origin game because he didn't do enough defensively in Game 2. And ever since then, he's made an absolute commitment to his club that he will play better rugby league and he's done it. He's a good old-fashioned rugby league footballer. He's not the sort of geezer that you expect to have 14 protein shakes and, and spend heaps of time at the gym. But what he has done is earn a lot of respect from his players because he's not allowed, um, afraid to do the hard yards. And, and it's the same for the Kiwi international, Fisher Harris. There's no love loss between these two players. They've clashed several times before and haven't been shy in letting each other know how much they respect each other's rugby league but disrespect each other's performance on the pitch because they're playing so well. So it will be an absolute battle up front, which I'm looking forward to. And you've also got Moses Liotta as well for the Panthers, who's the BP, uh, as you would say, the underrated player of the Panthers team. He just gets the job done, doesn't like to make too many mistakes. And that battle up front, will be absolutely uh, sensational. Not to mention the battle of the two hookers as well. I mean, Apisai Corosau is um, a very fast player. He likes to distribute the ball very, very, very quickly. 
But I think the um, the hooker or, or the number nine of the rugby league season over the past month has definitely been Reed Marnie. He's about to sign off against the Eels, so he'll be taking a, a contract somewhere else. He wants to finish with that premiership ring. But there's something about Reed Marnie. Not, not, his distribution probably isn't as on song as Coruscant. I mean, he's probably more effective in his display of the passes left and right. But Reed Money has the ability to drive his whole pack forward. And if there's any one of those forward players from Parramatta that have decided to take a break or take a rest, Reed Money isn't the sort of player to hold back in telling them that they're bludging and they need to start moving moving forward and directing play more. And I think that's what Reed Money brings to the party. And he can also be a nice little foil for Mitch Moses when you think that Mitch Moses might be under the pump as he's expected to do every cutout pass, every grubber kick, every bomb, then all of a sudden Reed Marnie will come in and he won't just scoot for three or four metres, he'll make sure he makes 12 to 14 yards and it just gives his whole pack that enticement to keep on going, keep on going. So I think the battle up front between the props will be outstanding and also we'll find out which one of those two number nines are better on the day when it comes to a grand final. I'm hoping it'll be Reed Marnie, but Coruscant is, you know, such a, a tremendous player. I expect him to play through his skin as well. Are you making the trip? Are you going? I bought a ticket. I bought two tickets, actually, after the final. Um, stayed up quite late and thought, well, you know, th- these events don't happen often. It's been 36 years since Parramatta have won a premiership. And it was back in the heyday when Parramatta were victorious throughout three premierships in the 80s that I developed my... Um, love and desire for Parramatta to continue to be a great winning team back with, you know, Zip Zip Eller and Brett Kenny and Peter Sterling, greatest halfback of all, by the way, mate. It was back in my devotion of the 80s, which I've just never, ever, ever let go. But the heart was broken in 01 and 09, and it was broken even more in 2016 with the salary cap issue. So I think Parramatta have kind of paved their way for for, um, making up for lost time and for atonement, and they certainly deserve to be there, as do the Penrith Panthers. Obviously, you've got to remember that Andrew Webster, the assistant coach of the Penrith Panthers, who's actually their attacking coach, will be off to the Warriors in 2023, which is something for Warriors fans to get really excited about. But I went to book my flights on Air New Zealand, and there were no flights going in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And unless I go with Webjet, which is going to cost me two and a half grand, that could be a very expensive grand final trip if I come home crying because they don't win. But you never know, Smitty. I haven't ruled it out yet. I've got the tickets if I want to go. <laughs> Lavina, always great catching up with you. I love your enthusiasm. And I'm, very, I'm thrilled for you that you've got a, a seriously big vested interest in it this weekend. Uh, thanks for the chat. Very informative. Okay, uh, all no, the best. I hope no it goes worries, well. Smitty. Yeah, Cheers. thanks, Pete. Uh, Lavina. supporting both teams. Good on you, Lavina. Good there. Uh, the Battle of the West. Yes, it is the Battle of the West. I, I did a little bit of a directions finder. I've, I've been out that way on a number of occasions for All Black tests, of course. It's only about 10 minutes from uh, Parramatta to the stadium, and it's about uh, 30 to 35 minutes from Penrith to the stadium as well, uh, out west. So it's quite apt that it's out there. Uh, it's not slapped back in the middle of it. In fact, uh, Parramatta are a little bit closer to that home stadium, but it'll rock. There's no doubt about it, and uh, two deserved finalists. And we'll preview more of that going forward throughout the week, no doubt. It is uh, 10.19 here on SENZ. We'll have a panel very shortly. The Opinions, the panel. Right, uh, the panel today consists of uh, Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin. And uh, Jamie Wall, uh, we touched base on Saturday night uh, prior to 
the kickoff between the All Blacks and the Wallabies, uh, which uh, concludes the home segment of uh, 2022. What's your overall opinion, mate? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Good to see you on Saturday night. Morning, Aiden. Uh, overall opinion is that, well, if you look back at the same situation last year, sorry, the situation last year it was actually more or less the same is that the All Blacks had been a little bit shaky. They ended up winning the rugby championship um, and then went into an end-of-year tour that didn't pan out the way that they wanted it to and we had a whole summer of talking about whether the coach should lose his job. And I kind of feel like we're back in that same situation again. I mean, well done to the All Blacks for winning um, the rugby championship and uh, doing it in pretty emphatic fashion on Saturday night at Eden Park. It was a very typical... Uh, Eden Park test match uh, where the, the All Blacks have pretty much sewn it up after about half an hour. Um, the Wallabies clearly have a, a massive mental block about about playing there, um, which is why they haven't won there for you know almost four decades. Uh, and you saw another situation um, on Saturday night uh, in the midfield, at least, um, where uh, an injury um, permutation meant that we got. Uh, a, a, a midfield co- or a, or a, a positional comp- uh, a positional situation um, that worked out really well because uh, I thought Jordy Barrett had a really really good game and kind of like the front row uh, that we, we've got this year with DeGroote and Lomax playing really good football and then Takiaho as well uh, that was kind of a situation that wasn't really manufactured it was just kind of thrust upon the All Blacks so a few things have just been happening uh, more rather rather than accident rather than design uh, and I'd, I'd like it now if we just saw sort of saw a bit more design out of the All Blacks like the bits are there and they're kind of smoothing off those rough edges that make them a team that's more of a threat to anybody but I still think and, and I've said this before on the show that I still think it's all going to come down to that game against England at Twickenham and then we can really measure uh, what sort of chance the All Blacks are going to have at next year's World Cup. Okay, um, Aidan McLaughlin, good morning to you. Stuart Barnes saying that none of those Northern Hemisphere teams will be uh, at all worried about uh, the prospect of facing the All Blacks this time around. What do you make of that? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Jamie. Um, well, I think he's right. I think that uh, if you look at the All Blacks record this year, they've, they've played nine, they've won five, and they've lost four. Um, and I think the fear factor has gone. The fear factor that those Northern Hemisphere uh, teams held for many years when they played the All Blacks, whether home or especially away, has now has now gone. So I think uh, Wales, Scotland and England will all think they've got a, a crack. Um, I think that England match at the end, uh, as Jamie alludes to, will be the, the, the real defining moment of the year. Um, because if they if they win three, if they beat Japan, Wales and Scotland, but they lose that game, then it will be another painful summer, I think, for All Blacks fans and a worrying one for Ian Foster and Co. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, let's just, uh, can we move on to uh, one of the other things that happened on uh, Saturday? Jamie, Saturday afternoon in particular, you were there for both games, of course. You had to cover um, the, the women's game as well and the press conferences, etc., um, I looked at the crowd at the start, and I think that's always a good indication um, as to a following. When people want to go and genuinely watch two events, if they go for the start of the first one, they're genuinely interested. I'm not sure that crowd was that encouraging, bearing in mind the Rugby World Cup is around the corner. W- what did you make of that? 
Yeah, I, I have to agree. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing um, uh, to see that sort of turnout for a Black Ferns team that's, what, a couple of weeks away from their World Cup campaign starting at, at, at Eden Park. Um, there's, there's just a, a pretty big conversation to be had about the concept of double headers of playing the Black Ferns and, and the All Blacks on at the same time. Um, there's pros and cons uh, to both, but the, the pro being that by the end of the women's game, you're going to have a pretty decent number of people in there, but the con being that the, most of those people are just there to see the All Blacks. And so it's going to be really difficult to build some sort of, you know, decent following of the Black Ferns if they're always tethered to the All Blacks, but not in a way that, that they're, they're truly sharing that brand. Um, I've always been an advocate that if they are going to wear the same jersey and play on the same on the same fields, that they, they simply just become one big unit, one big team that are called the All Blacks, the All Blacks men and the All Blacks women um, themselves, and then they share all their marketing um, together and the, the entire experience is sold as one big package rather than a curtain raiser and a main event. Um, I mean, the game the game itself was went exactly the way that you know we thought it was going to. Um, it, it helps that the Black Ferns are about twice the size of the, the poor Japanese players that they were playing against. Uh, and but the good thing is is that they did exactly what we wanted to see out of them, which was have a really good hit out, um, get the ball into Portia Woodman's hands. She didn't disappoint and managed to get over seven times, which is pretty cool. Uh, and hopefully it's just sort of drummed up a little bit of excitement um, about their upcoming game. I think they're going to get a good crowd there for the first game because really what this Women's World Cup um, comes down to is the first day and the last day. And if they can get decent crowds for both, then I think they can tick, they can tick that box because a lot of what's going to happen in between um, is going to be pretty immaterial to to the games itself. And, and as the tournament goes on, they can build some hype around the Black Ferns' inevitable showdown with either uh, England or France or even both. Um, and the fact that because it's a World Cup, it's really just going to come down to one game that the Black Ferns play um, in the, in the, at the business end of the tournament. And I, I give them, uh, based on what I've seen this year and the progress that I've made, I'll give them every chance of winning that game. Okay, uh, Aidan McLaughlin, I'll give you a crack at that um, after the break. We're going to take a short uh, a short spell with uh, Araha with the news and uh, then we'll come back with uh, Jamie Wall, Wall and uh, Aidan McLaughlin on a number of other issues as well. The panel. Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin with us this morning and Aidan, yes, uh, attendance for the women's game, uh, particularly early, was a little bit concerning. So too, though, Aidan, and uh, we're both Hawke's Bay people, we know what the Ranfurly Shield can do to a local crowd, uh, upwards of seven and eight for Hawke's Bay at times. Wellington apparently only got around 3,000 people. I cannot fathom that. Yeah, so I was I was watching the, uh, the, the Black Ferns game and kind of flicking between that and the Ranfurly Shield game. And to, to Jamie's uh, point earlier, yeah, I thought it was a disappointing attendance for the for the Black Ferns, but even more so for the um, for the Wellington match. Now, I think the mitigating factors, if you can call them that, is that it was a pretty horrible day weather-wise in Wellington, um, which kept a, a lot of people away, perhaps that walk-in walk-up crowd. And then the All Blacks kickoff was at 7:05, so I think a lot of people thought, well, if I go to Sky Stadium, I'm going to struggle to get home or get to a pub to watch the game. So those seem to be the mitigating factors coming out of um, out of Wellington. But it, whatever way you look at it, three or four thousand people 
for the first defence of a Ranfurly Shield um, is disappointing. I mean, it's hard to spin it any other way. It just seems that people have just... Uh, just aren't that interested, really. I mean, you know, you, I genuinely thought they'd be up near 10,000. Perhaps I was just really over-optimistic, but I guess I was looking at it, Smithy, from our perspective, where we get that seven, 8,000 on a regular basis, and if you're going to have a first shield defence, surely that's the bumper one. Yeah, I, I, it got, it's got me baffled, actually. Not only that, this is a Wellington side that is also atop their conference in the NPC. It's not like that was a fluke or anything and they thought they'd lose it to Waikato. I mean, this is a side playing some pretty good damn rugby. So uh, it was a, a bit concerning for me. I'd say concerning is uh, probably a word too for Wellington rugby. OK, let's um, move on to uh, what happened on Sunday, of course, which was 35,000 plus turning up to watch uh, the All Whites play. Uh, Jamie Wall and uh, now the question is... Danny Hay, uh, will he be retained as uh, our national coach? Well, the the, the scuttlebutt is no, um, but he's he's, he's going to they're going to mutually part ways. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that if if that happens. Uh, I, I'm un, my understanding is that uh, Danny is uh, just a bit disillusioned at the fact that there doesn't seem, didn't seem to be any plan for the awards for the next sort of couple of years leading into the next World Cup cycle that, that, that New Zealand football simply were happy to just um, bide their time and wait for the next qualification um, cycle to begin. Uh, and given that the next World Cup is going to expand out to 48 teams, that the the qualification is, is almost, almost assured. Uh, so uh, I think that from what I'm hearing that he, he's pretty frustrated at that, the fact that there doesn't seem to be anything lined up um, for the All-Whites. Uh, we saw a press release yesterday from um, Andrew Pregnell saying that they were going to, uh, you know, they, 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 the plan was to have the All-Whites playing games in New Zealand as, as often as possible. Now, that's all well and good to say that. How they're actually going to make it happen, given that, that uh, Sunday was the first time that they'd played Australia and New Zealand for 12 years, uh, you know who they're going to be bringing down. Um, what kind of what kind of level of competition we're going to be we're going to be seeing? Um, whether the All Whites are all going to be available? Whether they're going to be able to pick a top ranked side? Uh, all that's unanswered. So it's it's just a real shame because you can see the passion and enthusiasm that New Zealand football the New Zealand football community have when the All Whites do actually find them to play them. I mean, thirty five thousand. That's a great crowd. Uh, for what wasn't a, wasn't the most fantastic day in Auckland um, on Sunday, it certainly helped uh, playing against Australia and um, you know uh, players that a lot of people who follow the A League would, would recognise. But yeah, it's just it's just annoying because you know you'd think, given that they're they're almost assured of qualifying for the next World Cup, that they'd want to put all their chips um, onto the All Whites going forward to make them a real force not just on but off the field uh, as well and, and sell some shirts and, and get some real name recognition around the guys that uh, aren't Chris Wood This is interesting for me um, Aidan because I'll tell you why the tenure, the most of the tenure Danny Hay has had under this particular job with the All Whites has been COVID restricted Danny Hay went to and spent a lot of time overseas himself arranging pre-World Cup warm-up games. He put almost put together that schedule single-handed as he visited countries because he was out of the country. He had the, the ability to be able to do that. Um, and now, of course, uh, things are a lot freer. We can get games at home. 
you know, the, the squad is a young one, which he's put together. I'm not quite sure. There's got to be something behind the scenes that just is stopping this from being automatic, a lay-down Bazir. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if uh, if New Zealand football really wanted to extend Danny Hayes' contract, they would have, and they were happy with everything that was going on, whether on the pitch or off the pitch or, you know, whatever's going on, um, they would have made moves well before now. They would not have waited to the end of his contract uh, to even acknowledge it, really, because uh, the, the the statement that Jamie referred to from, from Pregnant yesterday was really the first acknowledgement there's been. So... Um, Hay is clearly frustrated. New Zealand football are very quiet. Um, my, if I was a betting man, which I am, um, I wouldn't be putting money on Hay being retained. Um, I think they are probably looking elsewhere already and probably have been for a while. Um, the reasons for that, we may never know. Uh, because when Chris Wood comes out uh, on Sunday, as he did, and he is, uh, you know, spoke very uh, passionately about the fact that they should look to re- retain Hay. I guess you, know, you could say, what else is he going to say? But um, he he indicated that he and the dressing room were behind Hay. Um, and really, I think, had that not been said, I don't think Pregnant would have even come out yesterday. I think they would have kept quiet completely. I think it's only that Chris Wood, who is very respected, has actually said something on Sunday. I think that's the only reason that anything was mentioned yesterday. And, yeah, I just I just don't see him being retained, to be honest with you. Right, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm the same. I think it would have been in black and white by now, but uh, it clearly is uh, a long way away from that. Uh, Jamie, um, interesting, uh, some changes in world cricket going forward, uh, and uh, one of the most controversial ones uh, already we haven't seen an example of in a women's international match, um, and uh, that didn't take long for Deepthi Sharma to mancad Sophie Dean, um, and uh, there are all sorts of tears and dismay and that sort of thing, but as now... You can do that. What, what did you make? What did you make of uh, that particular event and the mancad going forward? Well, you always could do it. Like this is what I don't understand is, is about this whole thing. Like it's called mancad for a reason because a guy called mancad did it back in the like what was it nineteen fifties, right? Like it's always been out. Uh, I, 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 I'm starting to get my head around this. And like, uh, uh, this is interesting for me because I've had this conversation with a few people when you talk about women's sport and you talk about how uh, in order to be seen in the same light as men's sport, you kind of actually need stuff like this to happen. And I always thought that women's cricket would attain the same level of interest as men's cricket when the first woman got done for match fixing, Right. I feel like this could is, is almost kind of in the same way because you've got this cheating controversy going on, or at least it's been framed up as, as cheating or, or, or against the spirit of the game, which you never really see in women's, women's sport. And it, it's bringing a whole lot of attention to it because everyone's got an opinion on this. I mean, my own opinion is that uh, you should know that getting run out at the non-strikers end is a thing and you should keep your bat down, especially in... Uh, a game of that magnitude uh, in the circumstances that that was happening. Um, personally, I think that the English uh, players are using the fact that um, there's a lot of sympathy for them to kind of to their advantage when really they should just be coming up and just being saying like, hey, yeah, it's out. Like, we lost the game. She shouldn't have, she shouldn't have done that. She has every right to be upset uh, about it. 
Um, but she should be upset at herself more than anything else. There's nothing wrong with man kids. There never has been. There's no reason for you to uh, warn anyone about it. Um, it's just because of some ridiculous convention that back in the day that that is seen as unsporting, uh, whereas any other way of getting out isn't. And, you know, there's a bit of a broader discussion to be had considering that it's been named after an Indian player and it's mostly associated with Indian players and that an English team is upset about it. But, you know, we don't have time to get into that right now. OK, uh, Aidan, I'll give you uh, a little bit of time to have your thoughts on it. <laughs> well, th- there was some great analysis done by a guy called Peter De La Pena from ESPN Quick Info over the last... Uh, 36 hours or so, and he had a look at Charlie Dean at the non-striker's end, and he realised that she had left her crease 73 times, including that final ball, where she was actually, you know, run out. Um, So that was 85% of all the balls that she was at the the non-striker's end, Um, which is basically five out of six balls. So so really, the, the biggest surprise to me is why didn't India do it a lot earlier? Um, you know they got to the final wicket of the of the match, and they needed to uh, to do something because it was looking very much like England were going to get up, despite there only being one wicket left. So you know they, they they took their opportunity, and as Jamie says, there's no reason to give a warning. It's in the laws of the game. I have no issue with it. Um, yeah, it's just more of a surprise to me that uh, it wasn't done a lot earlier. And frankly, you know, as we said a couple of weeks ago, when Bernard Foley did not kick that ball out. Um, if Charlie Dean had just stayed in her crease, there's no issue here. 73 mm. times? I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, Aidan McLaughlin and Jamie Wall have been very worthy panellists this morning on uh, a number of issues, and I thank them for their participation. Yes, sir. Charlie Dean, Ian, not Sophie Dean. You should have known that. It is uh, 10.44 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, it's 10.49. We'll be talking to Louis Herman Watt uh, shortly um, and we'll take a visit to the TAB too. Um, a couple of texts uh, have come in. Uh, Morning, Smithy. Tell me why we need DMAC. We have three number 10s, uh, Richie Moonga, Bowden Barrett and Stephen Pitafetta. Three fullbacks um, with uh, Bowden Barrett, of course, uh, in that group as well, Geordie Barrett and Will Jordan. So why do we need uh, D-Mac? I'm not saying they're uh, absolutely going to pick D-Mac, Stratty from the Naki. Uh, but here's the thing. Um, I, I think he's a viable option. And uh, if you wanted, I know Stephen Pettifetta and you're from the Naki, hasn't been given a go yet, so can't be judged on it. But um, I've just got a sneaking suspicion behind the scenes that they'll be looking at uh, Damien McKenzie uh, and his form. Although at the weekend it wasn't good enough for Waikato to lift the shield from Wellington, in fact, it was nowhere near good enough, uh, neither were Waikato. So uh, it's just an idea of uh, floating around strategy, that's all. But don't panic for Stephen Pitafeta. He certainly hasn't done anything wrong, has he? Uh, he just hasn't had the opportunity to do anything right. Um, right, uh, also, who else is... Oh, here we go. Yeah, Craig, I thought this would happen. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, to check in, wanted to send a text for only one reason, uh, says Craig, just to sign off Craig from the Bay. Craig from the Bay, not Bay of Plenty for at least a year. Craig, thank you very much. It's not like I wasn't aware of the result. A hundred texts straight after the game. Um, you know, a bit of badgering from even uh, fellow staff at Sky. Uh, it's, it's not like you have to wait till Tuesday morning, Craig, to try and ram home another dagger in the solar plexus. Um, I, I, I went to the Battle of the Bay. It went to the game. At least I'll give you that. 
it was a great game and a great result. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for making contact. Really do appreciate it. It's 10.51 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Uh, Louis Herman, what joins us uh, on a Tuesday before Group 1 ra- racing in Hawke's Bay this weekend uh, with the Outerfield stud plate and uh, Louis uh, Defibrillate. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, Defibrillate uh, and uh, from the Graham Richardson stable. Um, early, early signs of a market as such? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, Smithy, isn't it? Because yesterday when Imperatriz came out, I went straight to the market and tried to work out who we should be backing and Look, to be honest, I had a bit of a hard time, and I think what this presents is an opportunity for a, a horse to win a Group 1 outside La Creek, for a horse to win a Group 1 that we really didn't expect it to win a Group 1 at the start of the season only a month ago. Um, you know, like, no offence to these horses. They're all great horses, you know, to even get here and to even be an open handicapper, you know, is a, a massive achievement. Horses like uh, defibrillate, or, or maybe not defibrillate as such, but Spring Tide, or a Helena Baby, or a Namuse Moi, um, a Deerfield, a demonetization. Well, they're all genuinely in with a chance here because of the way that the tracks are so wet and the way that these Hawks Bay legs have just fallen away. Dark Destroyer got had you know so much taken out of him in the first leg. Um, we've seen Imperatriz come out and plenty more as well. La Creek, she's good enough to just turn up and win, unless it's really heavy. Mustang Valley, she's going to be able to swim through anything. Defibrillate, is it just a bit sharp for him? 1,600 fresh? I'm not too sure. I'd probably prefer him in the Livermore, but it's a real opportunity here for a horse and connections to put themselves on the Group 1 map. I'm hearing Mustang Valley, Louis, but more about that uh, during the week. So... Uh, we'll uh, cross now to uh, the TAB where BP, Brendan Popperwell is with us uh, and I guess NFL is the big order of the day to this afternoon It is uh, Stockley, uh, good morning to you and what I can tell you as well that the uh, New York Giants are getting really well played here right across the market, we've had uh, 1400 on them to win this match at $1.85, the Giants take 65% of the head-to-head market bets uh, currently with things sitting we've also had 1200 on the Giants to score over 20 points uh, in the match. If you're looking for maybe a nice little power play through the match, Daniel Jones to throw two touchdowns in the New York Giants to win is currently paying $3.50. So at the moment in the marketplace there, the New York Giants are 183, the Dallas Cowboys are 197. And of course, looking towards the NRL Grand Final, the early bets are rolling through on the Penrith Panthers. We're taking two $10,000 bets on the Panthers at $1.38, taking $2,000 on the Parramatta Eels at $2.95. Don't forget about that hall pass. Jump on to the deposit page. Type in a hall pass in the promo code. And you have a $5 bet on the game. You get yourself a free $20 bonus bet by the TV. Going to be Pete. You have a great week. Thanks very much uh, for that. Um, after 11 o'clock, we're going to be talking some golf with Nick O'Hearn out of Australia. Uh, he, of course, is the host of SENZ's Off the Tee. Nick, very shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Right, joined now by uh, Nick O'Hearn. Of course, Nick's been on the show before. Uh, professional, six professional wins across uh, the PGA, European Tour, Web.com Tour, and the PGA Tour of Australasia. Ranked 16 at one point in the game, which is quite incredible when you think of the amount of people that play the, the game. Uh, top 30 in all four majors, of course, and twice beating Tiger Woods in match play. And match play is very much the order of what uh, I'd love to talk to Nick about this morning because the President's Cup was on over the weekend. Uh, the United States, of course, retaining it 17.5 to 12.5. Uh, Nick also, of course, is a host of uh, a show here on SEN, um, and uh, that is called Off the Tee. Nick, good morning to you. Thanks so much for your time once again. Uh, no problem, Smitty. Hey, look, uh, Nick, uh, 17.5, 12.5. Uh, is that pretty much uh, how you saw it uh, before they teed off number one uh, way back on Thursday morning? I, I actually think that was probably a, better than I saw it, to be honest. I mean, and, and most people, uh, I think, going into it knew that the international team were possibly the biggest underdogs ever in the history of sport. <laughs> and to, uh, to do what they did, I think, on Saturday was just outstanding, where they were down 8-2 after two days, Thursday, Friday, and it, it looked as though at the end of Saturday, by that point, it, it could be all over before the singles. So for them to claw back and actually win win the points on Saturday, I think they won 5-3, to three, so they clawed it back to 11-7 going into uh, going into the Sunday singles. The singles was an outstanding achievement. And then and then they made such a run at them, actually. It was very interesting following. I was following it as it was going along, and there was, there was one point there, you know, midway through, probably two-thirds of the way through the day, where... Hang on, they're in a chance here, and uh, but unfortunately mm. the US just too strong and, and dominated at the end. But they can certainly hold their heads high. It was a fantastic effort and a great leadership by uh, Trevor Immelman. Yeah, I, I thought he put in the end he put together uh, a, a side which, uh, as you say, was more than just competitive. Um, on the back of the, the the late defections he had, of course, um, you know, with Neiman not being available and your very own Cam Smith as well, which dented the possibilities too. Uh, let's look at the the positives from the internationals point of view who stood out for you well i think the you know the one player who i think captured everyone's imagination was young tom kim uh, the 20 year old he he made the side just right at the end there uh, before the selections and and you know i think the enthusiasm and and the exuberance he brought to the team especially on that saturday uh, certainly wound probably some of the americans up the wrong way but i think that's what you got to do you got to get a bit inside their head and and give it back to him because they love to give it to us. And, and the way he played down the stretch in the crucial moments was just so impressive. And, and also, um, Siwoo Kim, you know, I think uh, for him to go out and, and beat Justin Thomas in the singles, Justin was carrying on a little bit there, you know, with the, the length putts that weren't being given and things like that. Now, JT has to remember he did that earlier in the week, but he obviously doesn't. <laughs> so that was a fantastic win for him. I mean, to birdie that last hole to, to win that match and beat, you know, one of the dominant players who was 4 0 going into the singles. He hadn't lost a match all week. was was just incredible. Um, Cam Smith from amongst the Aussies stepped up a couple of times during the right moment. Unfortunately, lost the singles. Scotty got off to a bit of a slow start, but he came back well over the weekend and played some really good golf. Um, and, you know, overall, I think uh, but those, those sorts of players were, were, did very well. And the other one who uh, really didn't get enough games, as it just turned out, was Sebastian Munoz. You know, he went mm. two, he won two, halved one, and he only played three matches. I mean, if they could have put him in a couple of times more, that would have been great. But hindsight's a wonderful thing, obviously, and it's it's so tough knowing who to put out there. Okay, let's uh, then uh, look at uh, the the USA. Of course, they weren't without defections themselves. You you would have thought Dustin Johnson would have been part of the mix. Maybe Patrick Reed, of course, who's got such a great uh, record uh, in that type of golf. 
Um, so uh, for them, uh, it looks like the spine, the spine, the real spine uh, was around Thomas and Spieth. And was Scheffler a little disappointing for you, Scotty Scheffler, with his ranking? Yeah, he was. I mean, he, he struggled on the greens. He was, you know, working hard uh, in the evenings on his putting. Had uh, Steve Stricker out there trying to help him. He, yeah, it was very disappointing for him. I would say. Um, I think he only got one win, probably three losses, and one half point. So that was a, a huge blow for him. Uh, Kevin Kisner really didn't play very much. I mean, he made some comments afterwards, so we didn't see much of him. He was the only other person that probably didn't get a win. But um, yeah, it's uh, Scheffler and Burns. Uh, you know, they're very good friends, and I think they, they're looking for them to be a very strong team in the future. But they combined pretty poorly, unfortunately. It was all JT and uh, and Spieth, and then you had Xander and Cantlay, who were also good mates. So they played really, really some solid golf throughout the week as well. So, you know, I don't think they really lost, as you said, too many. It was only really DJ. I don't think Brooks or DeChambeau. DeChambeau probably would have made the team. I don't think Brooks would have. Reed, I think he's on the outer anyway, given the fact that he doesn't really bring, bring a lot of team harmony to, to those sorts of mm. events. He's more in it for himself. So, you know, the U.S. team is, is going to be very strong for a long time if they can keep all those players and, and they don't effectively live to it. Nick, uh, with uh, the split in world golf, uh, which is clearly obvious at the moment, how good were, for, and I'll call it the institution, uh, how good for the institution was this event at Quail Hollow? I look at the, uh, the crowd numbers, I look at the atmosphere there, and uh, I can't help but thinking the likes of Cam Smith might have looked at it and thought, hmm, am I missing something here or not? Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um, you know, it's funny. He, he said he wanted to play Presidents Cup um, a few a uh, couple of months ago, and, and that was on his radar. But obviously, things changed, and you know, he's dictated a bit by the money and, and also the schedule and everything going along. So he may look back with some regret, and maybe they won't ever play another Presidents Cup again. We don't really know what's going to happen in the future. But I think uh, the PGA Tour. I think they'd be very happy with the way this event turned out. They, if it was a whitewash, it could have been, you know, really something that Liv would have probably pounced on a bit more. But um, And then there's also talk of maybe getting the women involved in the future. There's been a fair bit of comment around that of getting some of the top Korean and, and international players to strengthen the international side. But I think the way it all worked out uh, w- w- was fantastic. You know, that, if, you know, and I hate to say this because uh, hindsight's very easy. Unfortunately, the, the, the two Canadian players, Corey Connors and, and Taylor Pendrith, who was a pick, they went 0 and 8. So if they actually won a few points and, and, and contributed, um, you know, it might have been a completely different story. And that's where I think, you know, the couple of the guys that got left out, which was, um, you know, the, your own New Zealand's Ryan Fox, I think he should have been on the team, and also Lucas Herbert from Australia. I think. Uh, those two players may have been the difference in the end. But again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, as we all know. And, and Trevor just went on his gut and, uh, and, and did a great job throughout the week. Nick, you're probably as, as well-versed to talk about this subject than uh, anyone on the planet, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you beat Tiger Woods twice in match play. You uh, Tell us about the mindset for these guys. You know, um, some of them... Uh, have had extensive years. In fact, all of them have had extensive years in stroke play golf. All of a sudden, you get thrown into this particular type of competition, particularly in the singles, when you have no one to lean on. There's no uh, score up against there. You're just looking at that bloke on the other side of the fairway, and it's you and him. Tell us about, with all that atmosphere, the intensity of match play at that level. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating uh, competition, especially when it's an away game like like the international team have uh, been in U.S. soil. Um, you know, I played in two President's Cups and, and really the, the message going into our singles, and I think any singles matches, look, just take care of your own point. See if you can get up early, get your, you know, your colours on the board. In this case, it was black for the uh, internationals. Get a lot of black up on the board, 
rather than the Americans' red. And, and that sort of can send a message through through the other players as well because uh, in this sort of thing, momentum is huge. I think momentum is huge in sport in general, but especially you know, in match play, when you see your you know, other teammates doing well and up, well, that sort of lifts you as well. But if you see the other team going, that's a bit of an issue. So at the end of the day, you've got to take care of your own point. And my philosophy was always get ahead early. If I can get a lead early, especially when I was playing against Tiger, if I can get that lead early, well, then he's got to come and get me. If you get behind, it's much, much harder. Easier said than done, obviously, but you really got to focus hard on those first tee shots, first few holes, and, and try and just put your foot down and uh, get your colour up on the board in, in a nutshell. So, I mean, in those situations against Tiger, I mean, you must have felt, uh, along with your caddy, you must have felt pretty damn lonely out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the... The, the first time it was interesting, you know, I, I had a, my, my game plan going in was just simply to get ahead because history showed he'd only, you know, won a major uh, leading or being tied for the lead. So he was the ultimate front runner. If you get behind this guy in any sort of head-to-head combat or, for, or, or match, uh, in this case, in golf, and um, you, you're going to lose. So, so my goal was to always get ahead of him. And in the two matches I played, uh, I never trailed once. The second time was uh, was very interesting because I got a healthy lead on him the second time and then he pegged me all the way back to square. And it was at a time he was obviously number one in the world and the crowd certainly did not, not want me to win. Um, and they were saying some things to me that I'm not used to on the golf course. You probably do at the cricket grounds, but not me with the, on the golf course. But I, <laughs> I almost... Uh, I almost kind of enjoyed it because it was something completely different and, you know, to get heckled by the crowds and everything like that. So, but thankfully, um, you know, I came through and I was actually very, very uh, fortunate my wife wasn't out there because she probably would have picked a few fights with the crowd, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, it is so unique and that's why I absolutely, I'm glued to it uh, and that the Ryder Cup as well, to be honest. And what I noticed looking in from the outside too, it seems in a very short space of time to build great fellowship. I mean, the way that the captains in particular and the co-captains give you an atmosphere off the course to provide that team feeling seems, uh, seems quite unique. I saw pictures of uh, in the international team room when players had success. They were all there sitting, waiting for them when they came through the door. It was absolutely special. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and, but, and that's the unique thing in golf. We just don't get that at any stage. I mean, everyone has their own small team, and your coach and your caddy and your trainer perhaps and things like that. But uh, we very rarely have teammates. And so when the opportunity arises, I think the guys really jump at it. And, and it really started a few years ago that you know, this sort of new up-and-coming international team play that really started with Ernie Els. He, you know, he'd, he'd gone through all the losses of the international teams um, you know, that he's played on. I've played on a couple with him and and he really felt it deeply. And when he was named captain for the uh, Royal Melbourne in 2019, he, he wanted to change the uh, almost the culture of the team, I guess you could say. And he really went about it in an unusual and different way for the internationals. We, they, they really started early and they started building the culture and the team spirit early, like months and months ahead. And which is something when I was playing, we, they didn't really do it. You just sort of showed up you know, that week and all of a sudden you meant to play as a team. So it didn't quite work that way. So they're starting a lot earlier building this culture that they want and, and it's really starting to pay off and I think you know the next one when it comes around on, on international soil I think uh, we could be in for quite a show. Is there much talk um, amongst the captains etc and the players I mean do they have much discussion about who you would be preferred to play with who do you feel more comfortable on the course or you just really get who you're given? Oh no, you, you, you definitely—it's uh, definitely a, a, an open conversation. Uh, the captains will talk to you. You know, who, who do you like playing with in the foursomes and the four-ball formats? But I do know now they are using a lot more statistics on whose game suits to play with who. Um, you know, I think uh, although when you look at it in 
on the US side of things, I think you've got Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth playing together. They're best mates. Cantley and, and Xander are best mates. Um, there's another two. Um, and, um, you know, and Scheffler and, and Burns as well. So, you know, that, that friendship and that bond that you have can certainly help you to play some good golf out in the golf course. But you also want to have, um, you know, suitable games that are, that are, that are going to blend well together in foursomes and in four balls. So you don't really want to play with someone you don't like at the same time. So uh, it's definitely an open conversation. And getting those pairings right is crucial in this format, obviously. Uh, just looking at the, I'll call it the ugly side um, of uh, things at the moment, which is uh, the battle with uh, Live Golf as it tries to become established. Uh, I would imagine the likes of Greg Norman and and his uh, cohorts would look on and that and say, "Look, we we've got all the money, but uh, let's be fair, fellas. I'm not sure we're ever going to create that kind of feeling, that kind of atmosphere that we saw over the weekend. So surely they're up against it there. They are, yeah, they, they definitely are. Um, you know, and. and I think for them the biggest thing will be once it's trying to get a TV deal uh, because they haven't had much success with that at the moment. And the other thing is the world ranking points to try and keep those players, you know, coming over to live as well. Because what I think a lot of the players are now seeing is, hang on, we're not going to get world ranking points probably for probably for a couple of years, so we may not be able to play any majors now. If the money compensates that to them and they're okay with it, well then that's fine. That's that's completely their choice. But I don't really agree with them trying to come back and play these European and PGA Tour events and trying to dip. You know, dip their rink in both wells, I guess, so to speak. So yeah. Norman went to Capitol Hill the other day. I saw in Washington and trying to, uh, you know, trying to take his his case to a higher cause, and they brushed him off pretty quick. So I think he's running into some brick walls there, and uh, they're in for a bit of a fight. And I think the one thing the PGA Tour has going for them is I don't really see why they should um, join forces with them now because I think they've got most of the players that they're going to get, and now the PGA Tour is obviously up their purses. They've put all these incentives in for their players and, and they're kind of looking at it mm. going, wow, okay, we're in for a one pretty good ride here right now. So um, it's going to be interesting how it all plays out, that's for sure. It is. Uh, and uh, just as a, a, you know, I, I guess a sequel to that, I looked at the schedule for Live Golf, not that I'm that fussed about it. I just wondered where they were playing. And uh, Nick, a, a lot of the venues, including Australia, uh, where it comes to course, there's the big three letters TBD, to be determined. Um, so mm. still some question marks there. What, what do you, where do you see uh, Australia? Because I would imagine um, when uh, Greg Norman and his friends go to a, a, a particular golf course, they go with a very, very fat wallet, I'm thinking, as an incentive to host the event. So surely from a golf course point of view, you're looking at financial security uh, going forward, but then you're looking at anti, anti-institution, aren't you? So big decisions to be made in a lot of these high-profile golf courses. Yeah, there certainly are. I think, um, you know, I've heard a couple of different names uh, bandied around of late. Royal Adelaide, for example, which is where Wade Ormsby's a member, and he's obviously playing there. And then some of the uh, some of the courses up in Queensland, like Coolum or Sanctuary Cove, things like that. So, yeah, the golf courses all have a choice to make as to whether they want to um, host an event and, and secure, you know, they're obviously their course for many, many years because, yes, it's going to be one hell of a check coming their way. And, you know, I don't mind it coming here. It's, it's going to be, I think, whatever drives whatever drives golf in the right direction here in Australia. But um, you're right about the institution side. They've got some walls to break through and, and to get it going. And um, the funny thing about the whole live thing is since I've sort of started watching a little bit of it, I've kind of I've kind of forgotten about the players. You know, I don't really worry about mm-hmm. how, oh, I wonder how Brooks is going this week or Bryson or, or even Cam Smith when he won. I sort of looked it up and thought, oh, okay, he won. That's great. Um, but I don't really know what he won or, or how he won. So, 
Whereas every other tournament, you know, that I switch on, I'm, I'm quite in, in, enthralled by it, and I and I just love watching it. Like the French Open, you know, over in Europe, that just finished. That was an amazing finish, and and obviously now with the Presidents Cup, and when they've got a few more coming up, so uh, yeah, it's, they're in for an uphill battle, I would say. But um, it would be fun to have one down here in Australia, and, and where that ends up, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be in Melbourne or Sydney. It'll probably be somewhere in Queensland or, or perhaps uh, over in Adelaide. Well, and it just strikes me. Uh, I, I look at it like, you know, not as closely as you, but I do look at it as a golf fan, and I think what they're winning, it, it, apart from the money side of things, which is wonderful, and 48 players are going to do very well, we know that. Uh, but here's the thing, yeah. it, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter to me. It just doesn't matter, and I'm a golf fan. Yeah, I know, and I, and I feel the same way. I mean, I'm going to be interested to see how their performance goes, as in these players, do their games deteriorate a little bit, because there's no cut to make. There's no incentive for them to play well, other than obviously a lot of money to play for, but they've already just been paid a boatload of money anyway to go play there. So um, I think for the, for the, you know, for the players who are still playing the majors like Cam and DJ and, and Brooks and Bryson and those players, their games will probably still stay in shape because they've got majors coming up. But for the other ones who are, aren't in the top 50 in the world, it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how they keep performing and, and whether they can stay in the live tour because it seems like players get relegated pretty quickly. Nick Ahern, always great uh, to catch up with you. I, th- I thank you. I, I realise you're such a busy guy, but to get as close as you have been um, is a, a privilege for us uh, to hear about it back here in New Zealand. So thank you for your time this morning, uh, as always, uh, and uh, look forward to a nice spring and summer of Australian golf coming up. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Millie. Good chatting. Cheers. Yeah, yeah cheers. Nick Ahern there uh, with us uh, out of Australia. And uh, what about those stories about beating Tiger Woods? God's sake, in match play. Uh, knocking him over twice, having him come back at you, draw level, and still having the wherewithal to turn around and knock him over again twice. Nick Ahern should be absolutely praised for that alone, apart from everything else he has achieved so far in golf. And, of course, on SEN, they have uh, the honour of him hosting uh, their golfing show uh, off the tee. Um, not quite, and I see where Tiger Woods' son uh, uh, Charlie shot 68 at the weekend with Dad on the bag. Not so bad, is it? 68. What is he? 12, 13, 68 in a tournament. My goodness me! Uh, parallels my, we, with my son yesterday. I played with my son yesterday, just by the by, and he broke his course record too at Bridge Park. Um, and and that was with taking four in the bunker on the last four shots of the bunker on the last. I won't tell you what his new course record is. Uh, but very, very proud father to see your son break a record like that, even though we had to get a digger and replace most of the sand in that bunker in front of the, <coughs> uh, in front of the clubhouse where people were looking on from the balcony. And, uh, well, I won't say it was embarrassing, but it's 11.22. We'll leave it at that. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.27, uh, time for a few texts as well. Uh, come from Carlos in Christchurch. Love hearing from Carlos. He says, hi, Smithy. Deepti Sharma is a disgrace to the game of cricket. Now, Deepti Sharma, folks, is uh, a, an all-rounder in the Indian women's cricket team, um, and uh, she performed the mancad uh, on Charlie Dean at the weekend, which reduced Charlie Dean to tears, and uh, everyone in England went, uh, this is not on, this is not on, this is not cricket, but apparently it is these days. It is somewhat ironic, says Carlos, that an Indian cricketer becomes the first international player to use the newly allowed Mancad rule, especially as the rule is named after Venu Mancad. If this is a portent to how the spirit of the game is to be played, then I say bring it on. Open it up to everything else that's against the spirit of the game, such as verbal sledging, 
going back to the good old days. Two years ago, Coley took exception to our chance at Hagley Oval. Why? Because he felt it was against the spirit of the game. Mm, interesting. Uh, very interesting, Carlos. I'm, I'm a bit like you. I've got uh, mixed feelings about the Mancad. On one hand, I don't like people cribbing ground and doing on a regular basis, uh, deliberately out of their crease, trying to get an advantage to get to the other end. Um, I think that uh, perhaps there should be something done about that. Uh, but I don't like uh, that, uh, that form of dismissal because it's so unusual and it goes against the grain. But if it's going to happen more often, if it's going to be a factor in the game, uh, OK, then uh, if it's a law in the game, which it is, let's embrace it then. Uh, let's, um, let's run with it and, and let's not um, complain when it happens. And uh, if those stats were true, and I'm sure they are from Aidan McLaughlin this morning where the fellow did that uh, particular study on Charlie Dean, she was uh, out of her crease 73 times. Did he say 73 times throughout that innings when the ball was delivered? Charlie got what she deserved, to be fair, perfectly honest. New Zealand football, says Ryan. Uh, only have themselves to blame on this coaching debacle. Danny Hay said he has no communication whatsoever from New Zealand football. New Zealand football released a statement regain, regarding talks being penciled in for October. How have they not talked to him? Uh, it's not October yet, but uh, maybe uh, they have plans to do that. This has all the makings of a PR disaster, says Ryan. New Zealand football have a good side. They play good attacking football, and what a crowd on Sunday. Only New Zealand football could stuff up this opportunity to build the profile following of the sport. It's a joke, says Ryan. Mm. Yeah, there is that sentiment around it. Uh, we've uh, certainly uh, got a, a, a people's choice in Danny Hay. Apparently the players back him. Um, so what's standing in the way? I can think of uh, money and administration, peeps, being the only two things. And on the subject of money, it's not Danny Hay's salary we're playing for, but it's 50 bucks from the TAB uh, as we uh, look to play Stump Smithy this morning. Yes, 50 bucks, 0800 150 811. Uh, get on the phone. Uh, Brian will be there to answer it. I, I see Craig from Tauranga is there, um, Brian. Craig from Tauranga uh, is trying to get through initially. That would be the same Craig from Tauranga who sent me that very edgy text a few minutes ago and boasting about um, the bay as such. Be very careful when Craig from Tauranga rings up, Brian, just in case, just in case. It is uh, coming up to 11.31. It's time for, it is time uh, to hear from Ottawa with the news. Good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith for a little spit up spot of cricket. It is stumped and we're playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet today, Smithy. Uh, before we get into who's at the crease and who what topics might be on offer here in for a new week, how are you feeling, mate, after the long weekend? Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty good. Uh, quite uh, refreshed, actually. So um, a bit of uh, rugby in Auckland on Saturday, which was absolutely fantastic. Gee, those Black Ferns are a good unit, but they were up against not much. Big test for them is around the corner, but they look together, and uh, Wayne Smith's got them humming as such. And, and I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed uh, the honesty that was um, around Dave Rennie, too, after the game there. He acknowledged there were no excuses apart from the fact that they got done in every aspect of the game. <laughs> I just got a, Craig, a text from Craig actually tried to get through on the phone and Brian quite rightfully shut him down, which was good. Uh, he said, you're right, Ian. You're right, Ian. You can't trust us. You can't trust those people from the bay. 
<laughs> Certainly right there. So, okay, what are our subjects? What are our subjects this morning? And who have we got online this morning? What honest, good, honest people have we got this morning? Yeah, it's been unfortunate. You've got a, a Tauranga raised producer there as well, Smithy. But I'm not digging it into you this week. I'll tell you that. First up uh, at the crease, we have Matt from Blenheim. Come in, mate. G'day, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Feeling refreshed as well, so uh, up for it. <laughs> okay, what are the subjects, Logan? Uh, today we've got rugby league, golf, and the All Whites. Take your pick, Matt. Oh, it always seems to be a favourite on this one, but I'm going to have to go with it again rugby league. <laughs> I wonder why that is. No, we we love our rugby league. It's always a favourite here. Yeah. I know we love putting the questions together, Brian and I. So first up, Matt, who did the Panthers beat in the 2021 NRL Grand Final? Uh, that'll be the Eels. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not entirely sure how that could be when the last time they made the grand final was 2009. But, Smithy, over to you. Okay. Um, Matt, you've given me an opportunity, which I probably will not seize. Um, but I'm thinking they beat the Melbourne Storm. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Storm always a good bet. But it was the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, I okay. Second. Wow. Second question, South Sydney accredited as the first grand final winner back all the way in 1908 and have all up collected 21 in their team history. The Panthers have won three. How many have the Eels won? I'll go with Mm. a stab in the dark and say six. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. Well, I had a great era there. Um, we really should have Levina on to answer this because she'd know <laughs> it off by heart. Uh, I, I, think I think they're closer to nine. I'll go nine. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yes, that era of the 80s was great, and as Levina pointed out in the interview, that is what started her love for the Parramatta Eels. And if you missed that interview, go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. The correct answer is four. The last one being back in 1986. Wow, okay. That many. That few. Surprising. Right, question three. It is surprising. But last question for you, Matt. Everything's still on the line. The $50 TAB bonus bet. What? Oh, wow. I, I really should have shut my mouth before that. I think I'm just, um, probably just gave it away. Yeah. Uh, what year did the Eels win their last grand final? Um, I'll go with 1986. <laughs> Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, oh. and away it goes. I'm sorry, Smithy, I absolutely balls that teacher, one up. Yeah. Did your teacher not say always, but it's in class, pre-read the, all the questions when you go through an exam, pre-read all the questions? Did he not say that? And take, and take the easy marks too. Take the easy marks when they're enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyway. Matt from Blenheim, good man, good central stags area, Blenheim, Marlborough. <laughs> so uh, we don't begrudge you 50 bucks, uh, Matt. Congratulations. Stay on the line. Uh, Brian, we'll get your details and we'll get that money to you as uh, soon as we can and we'll have another opportunity for you folks at home to win tomorrow at the same time. Cheers, Matt. Have a good day. Cheers, Marie.
Cheers, Wit. And uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SENZ in the mornings. I'm sure that people will flock to, especially uh, the younger generation, put something back into boxing. Don't mind that at all. But don't continually be on the receiving end. You don't deserve that, Joseph Parker. Um, and I, I, I can't believe that you'd throw yourself, having just been pummeled like he was, knocked out cold, he'd get up off the, the mat and say, right, who's next? It just doesn't sort of sit right with me. And I hope uh, whoever's advising him uh, might like to go along the lines of the fact that Joseph... Maybe um, your best days are past and that elusive dream is going to be uh, eluding you for quite some time. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine him um, fighting, fighting Deontay Wilder or Joshua again or he won't fight Fury because he's from the same camp. But goodness me, uh, that was an absolute pummeling by the sounds of it. Um, also, um, Sean's come in with quite a good one. If the umpires call just one short when the non-striker leaves their crease, uh, that means uh, you'll lose a run. It'll stop uh, pretty quick with uh, no bank required then. So you, if you leave, in other words, you break the rules, uh, it is uh, deemed the same as if you don't touch your bat at the line when you're completing a run. Otherwise, they signal one short, one short. Uh, and uh, I, I just quite confidently can uh, say that if it starts to affect you on the run scoring side of things, then uh, players will be a lot more reticent and they would be advised by their coaches and captains, etc., to stay at home till the ball leaves the bowler's hand. And if you get a reputation for doing that, they won't even look for mad cats in the future. If, it, if you're continually doing it, if you're continually doing it, particularly in the crucial stage of a match, you get down to the wire, the last over, you need six to win off the last seven off the... The first thing a bowler's going to be looking for, whether he's a quick bowler, a spinner, or whether she is as well, as was the case with Deep Sharma, is that you just... Don't want to leave your crease and leave yourself open to that and bringing a new player out to try and win the game. It is 11.51 here on SENZ. Thank you very much for all your texts and calls this morning. We'll be back with Staffy very shortly. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.